0: The feeling that I felt in that workplace, I remember I felt so low and undervalued, underappreciated, I felt so powerless. I said to myself, there must be so many other people that feel like this. Mm. Not just in this workplace, but in life because of their difference or just because they feel like they're marginalised or they don't have a voice. And the way I feel was actually sickening, it's unhealthy. And um, if I continue like this, I'm not gonna be healthy mentally or physically because my mind was in a space of I don't wanna be here anymore. Like that I didn't wanna be here at all.
1: And I appreciate you coming down, making that trek from, <laughs>
0: from Greenwich, Green,
1: I was gonna say, but I didn't know if you <laughs> were gonna say it the
0: podcast. It's okay, it's fine. I live in Greenwich.
1: <laughs> from from Green Greenwich, <laughs> <laughs> wherever that is. I <laughs> appreciate it, man. Thank you for coming down. I'm excited to have you on board today. Um, to kick things off, you you come from a you're in the world of and I mean, you do a few things: entrepreneur, mm. podcaster, DEI consultant. TEDx speaker mm. a few things you know wear a few hats but what I want to do is I want to ask you about particularly around your your work in the DEI space mm. why do you love what you do
0: that's a big question and um, you can take your time yeah 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 no I will so the main the main reason why I love working in DEI is because I see the growth and impact that it has on underrepresented groups so they're actually able to thrive in workplaces stay in places for longer they're able to navigate spaces in a more safer like a mentally um, safer space for them um, there's more represent representation and then also organizations are able to understand the value of difference I think traditionally um, a lot of companies have only seen the value in a particular role being held by a particular type of person, so being able to influence the narrative being changed and seeing that manifest is a beautiful thing to see. It's very fulfilling, um, it's empowering, and um, I think it's what the world needs. So that's that's why I kind of I do what I do.
1: Tell me about your own experience in the workplace, and in particular, um, in the D&I space. Whether you felt that you um, there was any lacking in that diversity or in inclusion in your own experience when you've been working in the workspace?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's a good question. So I think there's there's one experience that I think anyone that's listened or followed my story would may know about, but I can go into it in, in, in kind of a bit more detail here. So I think prior to, to my working experience, and for those that don't know, my background's in recruitment. So I've worked in – I started off in sales, then I progressed into recruitment agency world – I never really experienced any direct racism in or discrimination in recruitment as an agency consultant, but I saw it with candidates. A lot of the time so I saw that decisions weren't made for example I might send this CV over the hiring manager will be like yes we love them they but they met them and they might have an accent they might be from India or they might be from Nigeria and all of a sudden they said no they're not going to be a right fit for our organisation and there was no exp- there was no further explanation on that they were great they were highly educated great skills they, were, they could do the job and I find that to be quite reoccurring there was one time I was on the phone as a consultant and um, I spoke to a client, and he. Asked actually said we will prefer not to have any black people actually come but he didn't I, for some reason he didn't realize I was, I was black on the phone um and then wait, wait. so wait, wait he said that to a client that he, was talking. he was black y- yeah he was black so he either felt comfortable enough to tell me that he doesn't want any, he, he was like i'd rather not have any black people because he said you know how black people can be but he was black get it. right and i was like Wild. Yeah. And he said that to me, not knowing what I am. I don't know how he felt, but it then kind of dawned on me, there needs to be some level of representation in the workplace, or there needs to also be some level of education around what isn't, isn't okay. Like this is a crazy bias that you obviously have, which is going to block off doors to other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that, that was like a, that was a tiny, tiny thing. But the ultimate changing factor for me was when I had one client. So, do you know how recruitment agencies work? Um, maybe somewhat. <laughs> okay, so uh, so if you're working as a as a recruitment consultant, you have multiple different clients that you work with, and you try to hire, and you try to get roles roles in for them. You get paid for the roles. So there's one client that said to me, Alyssa, you've been hiring with me for the past six months, um, but everyone keeps on leaving." Like, why is that like, people keep on leaving? Can you come in and just understand why people keep on leaving? That was outside of my role, but I was really interested to know, actually, yeah, why people leave in your organisation? but <laughs> I've done interviews um, with different staff members and the common themes in the conversation was, we feel silenced, we feel like we can't say anything, he's a bit erratic, he says some wild things, like, they just hated the owner of the company. And when I had a conversation with him, he was absolutely in a a different mindset, delusional. He was like, I, I give this to them. I pay them well. I take them to the you know this rooftop bar. I do this and that. How can they not like me? But when I spoke to the co- to the employees, I realized that there was a deeper rooted issue in the culture. So I was like, okay, there's a there's a problem here. That's the first time I noticed it in a workplace in general. Then I decided to then go on to work in house. Now the transition to go from recruitment consultant to working in house. Is very difficult because the style of working is different. So I had to then go to an intermediate company and work as a um, work on projects with a consultancy. So the so the company I worked with, I won't say their name, but they were the company that opened my eyes to crazy discrimination. So I remember I got there and I was working actually on site for Spotify. That was the client I was working with. So I was really excited. The workplace itself had loads of black people, really diverse, loads of people from different cultures. So I thought, this is sick. Like we've got loads of people that are, so a lot of my friends were there. It was a vibe, right? Mm. On the outside. But then I noticed that every week somebody is miraculously leaving that happened to be black out of the blue just pop pop and I was like why are these people leaving no one was saying anything people were just saying oh yeah and you know the CEO would say so we've had some people leave unfortunately they don't fit the culture here or whatever it is and if you don't comply then you're out and I'm like what are you talking about anyway that was one thing by the way, you can interrupt me at any point. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Right? So I remember I had a manager, this white guy from Essex, never forget him. And in our first meeting, when I, when, I, when I joined the company, they put me on a more junior role than I felt like I should have been on um, because of years of experience. I was like, okay, cool. So when I went into my first meeting with him, I, I said to him, look, I know what I'm doing. I just want to know what are the measurables in place for me to get to the next level. And he was really struggling to tell me. And I think that is a problem in itself. Why are you struggling to tell me what the, what, the, what the next steps are? Like, So I don't know what to do. So I said, no, let's put that together. Slow down, Alicia, take your time. I said, don't tell me. I'm thinking, don't tell me to slow down. I just want to know the information, right? And that's one thing I noticed. Why are you not giving me access to information? On top of that, what he used to do, outside of our one-to-one meetings, he never used to acknowledge my presence which is also Mm. a microaggression that people don't know about. Because if your manager that is supposed to support you and advocate for you doesn't acknowledge your presence in other settings outside your meetings, you then feel excluded. You feel like I don't really belong here. So I could be in the kitchen making a coffee and he comes in, hey, looks at me, walk past. That's a microaggression because that made me feel, there was like a feeling inside of me that I was like, that's weird. There was a time... Um, in that workplace, I'm just going to highlight some some scenarios that really made me feel like, wow, this is a problem. Because I went in the workplace confident and I walked out with my head low. And that was a for me, that's, that's an issue. So I remember sometimes we used to sit down. There was one particular time we are sitting down having lunch with my black colleagues, having a great time. The CEO comes over, stands there, puts his hands on his hips. You guys, shaking heads can't be sitting together. You have to separate. The C- Is
1: this, the, C- is this the, the same person or is it a different person now?
0: So my manager is the one that ignores me.
1: He's not the CEO. He's not the CEO. Okay, just a line manager. He's not like my line
0: manager, but he's yeah. a part of the leadership team. Got it. The CEO of yeah. the company comes up to us and is says he
1: that a white guy as well? He's white. Okay.
0: White guy, Jewish guy. Um, well, Jewish background, but I don't think he... Yeah. Anyway, so he came up. You guys can't sit together. And my friend at the time... He had been there for longer than me. So he then said to me, yeah, he doesn't really like us sitting together and stuff. So this wasn't the first time. So I was like, uh, what is it? What do you want us to do? He was like, you guys separate and emerge. We had to get up and he stood there until we separated and we had to emerge ourselves into different groups. Do you know how mad that is? That's wild. Do you know how mad? Like, that's mad. Yeah. And we all fe- We all then felt uncomfortable to even sit together, ever. In work settings, in the pub, at Christmas parties, social parties, we was like, we can't be together. We have to merge ourselves in other spaces. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand the importance of everyone integrating and not always sticking to the same people I get that but you can't pick on one group and tell that group that they can't do that because you never done it to any other groups you never said you need to go and immerse yourself into these spaces you made sure that we were highlighted as the single as the single ones out to do that that was one problem on top of that on a personal note um my line manager was awful like I prayed to God and I thank God so much. I've never seen him again since because I don't know what words might come out of my mouth. He was awful because the things he used to carry back to me was like, oh, there was one time I was on the phone to my dad at lunchtime talking about perfumes that my dad wanted to get for me. And he was like, yeah, I've got some ones. If you have any friends that want some, just talking. I go to have a one-to-one meeting with this manager that doesn't acknowledge me, that's not trying to build any type of relationship with me. And he says to me, oh, Um, he always had nothing, he had nothing to criticise about my work because my work was good. i done, i delivered. I'd done what I was supposed to do. There was no problems. I used to even go above and beyond. I helped them with their social media strategy. I ran like internal events for them. I did like a charity event. I'd done other things for this company outside of my role, Mm -hmm. right? And that's me over delivering to prove my value and worth because I felt so small. So I remember he said to me that time, Alicia, um, someone actually overheard your conversation at lunchtime and they said you're selling stolen perfumes. And I said, "Uh, no, that's not what, that's, where did that come from? Alicia, it's very unprofessional to be talking about that. And actually we can report that. Like you can't be selling stolen perfumes. Imagine a client was here. And I was just like, what? Hold on a minute before you go back to this messenger that's come to you to get them to verify their information, you're not even coming to me to discover what happened.
1: It's coming to accuse you. You're
0: coming to just come and point fingers at me. So I'm there again. I already feel small. I'm feeling smaller. So I then find out who said it because I had done some investigating to see who was there at lunchtime. I approached a person who was a white male and I asked him, did you actually say that to my manager? Because I know that they're really tight friends. He said, yeah, I did. I said, you, you took this information From a conversation I was having a private conversation, you made a conclusion about what I was doing and you carried it to my manager. You didn't even think to come to me to verify any information or you didn't think to just mind your business. No, Alicia, I felt like there was something at risk in the business and I had to report it. I said to him, I said to him straight, I said, if I was a white woman with blonde hair, you would have never thought that. Don't you ever, I said to him, keep your name out of my mouth. And the thing is, I think they didn't like that in that workplace because I was very outspoken in those situations. I said to him, don't ever speak to me. Don't speak about me. I don't even want to see you say hello to me. Don't talk to me because you see your mouth, your mouth is something else. I was really in rip. So that, those type of situations... Would go back to management. Alicia is a threat to the business. Alicia is an aggressor. Alicia is aggressive. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. that's the narrative that will be that will be coming at. But you don't come for me. So that that was one situation. Another situation would happen where I was at lunchtime. There was um, some people. We had a Filipino Philippines office. Some people came over from the Philippines. Um, there was a girl who was Filipino. Um, and I said, oh, you're from the Philippines office. She wasn't. She was from the London office. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I know there's people here, you know, talking. We got along. Next meeting I had with HR, Alicia, it's been reported that you've been racist in the office. You've, yeah, you've been racist because you assumed that someone was from the Philippines. First of all, she was. there were people, there were people from the Filipino office in that week. She's also a Filipino. It was a fair question. Yeah, It's not me being racist rude it's not me being racist and furthermore I said did she report it because Mm. we spoke and she was fine no two other people overheard and they felt so offended all of these things kept on happening I will send a message to a girl Uh, I remember there was one particular white girl that used to always cry wolf all the time come to and she she had a meeting I had a meeting about her her saying Alicia was really aggressive towards me in this message I read the message I think it was something like, I'll come back to you. Just a, a blunt message. No X's and hearts and whatever. And... A HR pulled up and said, I can see how she can read this, being aggressive. I said, tell her to take her white fragility tears somewhere else. I'm not the one, like, what? Because she's done this to three other black girls. She's never accused anyone else of being aggressive, but us, all of a sudden. And they've, all the other girls have taken it on the chin and saying, we've had to just apologise. And I used to always speak up, so I then always looked like the aggressor. So that those situations happened. But there was this one situation which was almost a cherry on top where um, there was there was so many, but this one was, was a massive one in particular. So the white girl that used to always cry wolf, she was in my team with the manager that never used to say hello to me. And in that team, he was friends with pretty much all of them or he used to suck up to the one other black guy that was there. And never, I used to stay silent I silenced myself in those room. I didn't contribute anything. I didn't give any updates. I stayed silent because I didn't want anything that I said to be taken out of context. Yeah. So that was a common thing there. So I remember one time, um, and those girls, they didn't like me. For whatever reason, they didn't like me. Now, I remember one time I was in the office and I was walking and I saw both of them kind of just like, shh, towards me. So I said, oh, you you can buddy me in the workplace or you can talk about me in the workplace. This is my time to report it. So I said, can we have a conversation? Um, There's been two people on the team that has made me feel really uncomfortable in the office because I saw them pointing and talking about me. Oh, Alicia, um, you're probably just taking things out of context. Hold on a minute. You've come to me for stolen perfumes, for, you well, know, a for, for a message that was too blunt, you for calling me racist and for saying that I made someone feel, because there were loads of other things. I was like, you've come to me on all these different things, but you never once went to them to say they might be taking things out of context. The minute I come and tell you how I'm feeling about something, I'm taking things out of context. So I said, I'm being honest. I feel uncomfortable. And I'm, and there's a built, I said to him, there's a built up level of uncomfortability and I'm vocalizing it to you. What are you going to do about it? Um, I said, I want to speak to HR about it. Uh, um, by the way, HR was led by a black woman and now. It's, I'm, I'm very. I'm so happy that I had a real conversation with her because mm. there was a lot of things that she was doing that was incorrect. But I told her because she was. She kept on complying by things, but it, yeah. it, I found out afterwards she too was being bullied by the CEO and she just wanted to keep her job. So she was just doing things, yeah. but she was being a sellout. And I, t- I told her like, and thank God that she's the person that she is because even this year she's got me paid bookings for speaking and stuff because she, I think she's. Then turn that into respect. Yeah. But I said to her, You, you were selling out, babe. You can't be doing that. <laughs> like for, for a job. Not mm. doing. It. So anyway, I remember my manager at the time said, Alicia, there's a process you've got to go through, there's a form you've got to fill in, you've got to do this. I said, send me the form. I'll fill it in. So that was on a Monday. Yeah. The next day on a Tuesday, I um I remember I I emailed him saying, I messaged him, like, saying, Can I have the form, please? Um he didn't reply. I said, I'll bring another form, please. He said, okay, I'll get you the form. Anyway, ended up not giving me the form, so I just sent an email with the details of what took place. I sent this it to HR, and I copied him in, and I said, I've been waiting for the form, but this is the information. Um, and then HR emailed me back saying, what form are you talking about?
1: <laughs> There's no form.
0: There was no form. And so I said, well... My managers now try to deviate me and try to basically block me from reporting something that had me vocalising, me being uncomfortable, which clearly tells me with the combination of you coming back to me of all of these different things, and when I want to vocalise something and you not acknowledging me, and he got me kicked off the project as well. That's something I haven't vocalised. He everything was going fine. I always noticed a shift in. So I had a key stakeholder in the US who was a very horrible lady. But all my other stakeholders, my high managers, are really nice, but she was really horrible. Um and I think that her built perception of me, she had she didn't we only had meetings together, was built from him. I, so I remember one time he went to New York and after that he came back and said, Oh, she doesn't like working with you, she thinks you're really..." And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, we just and, I, and what I did on purpose, I remember I got a feedback form with all my hiring managers all over the world that I work with, from Chicago to Amsterdam to whoever, and I said, let me get them to feedback on this form. Got their feedback, I said well, I say cold, I say something different. I've hired all my 28 roles under the timeline that I was even given, so what's the problem? No, like, she doesn't like working. So he used to build up all these different perceptions about me, to make me seem invaluable, to make me seem less than, to make me seem like I'm not worthy. So when, anyway, when I had a meeting with HR and I said, I want to talk about this issue, I suppose about it um and it was it was trivialized it was like "Elicia, come on like you know you don't you're being over dramatic and da, 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 whatever it is and it was almost like you're lying in in not so many words and I thank the lord okay someone else in the office who was a black woman she was a VP in the company she saw it and independently witnessed and independently reported it I didn't know that until the day after the man the HR manager who was a black woman said to me so-and-so has reported the same thing, we're so sorry, we got this wrong. And I, and I literally burst into tears saying, you people have put me through hell. And the one time I wanna talk about something, you silenced me. Like the one time you told me that I'm, I'm a problem. And the feeling that I felt in that workplace, I remember I felt so low and undervalued, underappreciated, I felt so powerless. I said to myself, there must be so many other people that feel like this. Mm. Not just in this workplace, but in life, because of their difference, or just because they feel like they're marginalized or they don't have a voice. And the way I feel was actually sickening, it's unhealthy. And um if I continue like this, I'm not gonna be healthy mentally or physically, because my mind was in a space of I don't wanna be here anymore. Like that I did not wanna be here at all. Um and then after that whole situation like that was crazy but I think another thing that took place is a Christmas party the last again the last thing I remember they sent around, um leaflets to all the girls saying yeah we've got makeup artists and hairstylists coming in to glam you guys up um, and I looked at the leaflet and there's black girls' hair, not one black hairdresser, not one black MUA. And I said to, "I said to HR, can you get a black hairdresser, please? Could you get a black MUA? Because my hair was short at the time. I said, I need someone that can do my hair. All of these makeup artists don't seem like they can even do my makeup. Oh, Alicia, who else is requesting this? Are you insane, woman? Are you insane? You are a black woman saying, who else is requesting this? I'm requesting it. Don't worry about no one else. All the other black girls there wasn't going to say anything. They were just going to say, I'll do my own makeup. No, why? Why should you do my own makeup? makeup when every other white lady in the workplace can get their makeup done. What's that saying about the value that they, the, about us, our value and our beauty? We deserve to look beautiful too. We deserve to, to have the same treatment. So I'm going to speak up. So they got some, some black, um, hairstylists and makeup artists in. And I remember when they came in, um, one of the hairdressers said, was you the lady that said that you want to get black? So I said, yeah, I was the person. And then I thought to myself, do you know what? This was a small thing, but I've got a voice and influence because this workplace hates me, but they still listen to me in this, in this scenario. They, the workplace place ha- hates me, but they still, I still run a carnival event in there. I still run Black History Month event. I still got my own caterers in. I still got my friends to come in and do twerk classes. I still had influence, even though they tried to stop my voice. So I thought, do you know what? Even though this place is quite limiting for me, if I go elsewhere, I can have such a big impact. If I do this outside of this workplace, I can have an unstoppable voice. And I remember I spoke up, I'd done like a long Instagram story when I left that workplace because I left, after the Christmas party, and they spoke about the carnival event, the Black History Month event, all these things that have happened. And they gave the credit to someone else in the business. And everyone looked at me at the time and was like, that's a bit awkward because we know you just definitely did this. Mm. And I thought, yeah, you guys are absolutely mad. So when I left, um, I decided I'm going to take this journey seriously and actually help organisations. And instead of making this about a rant, like I, I spoke about it on Instagram, I did a rant. And do you know what happened, Tevin? There was about, I counted about maybe 12 separate people that were currently working at that organisation that came to me and said, oh my gosh, I'm going through this, this, this. And they weren't just black women as well. They might have just been people from different backgrounds, people with difference. The VP Mm. at the time that was a black woman, she messaged me just the other day on LinkedIn saying... He used to, the CEO used to say to me all the time, like, you know, I can't sit with black people. I can't do this. This, And she messaged me saying, oh, my gosh, I went through the same thing, too. Like, he was horrible to me, too. So I was like, you are infecting so many people. And do you know what makes it worse? This company's hiring for companies like Apple, Deliveroo, Just Eat, Spotify. So you're there infecting up all these big tech companies. that." And I said, no, like, no, we need to... Reverse it, because if the mentality of the hiring people is like that, you're going to have an impact with who you're working with and who you're hiring, which means that you might actually affect other workplace cultures and block out opportunities to actually Mm. climb the corporate ladder. So... I, that's kind of when it was all a big thing for me, where I was like, no, this needs to stop. I need to have some type of impact and use my voice. Does that make sense? Makes
1: perfect sense. So that company you was working for, sounds like it was a big, it was a global company because they got offices all over, right?
0: <laughs> no, it was actually a company just based in the UK, but they worked on global um, clients. So people okay. used to travel and stuff, right. but yeah.
1: I ask, because there's a lot of global companies, so I've got... When you are talking, I've got a lot of other stories popping into my head from other friends who have told me about things that they've gone through of organisations, and these are and they're global organisations. Global mm. organisations. If you go onto their websites, you'll find DEI pages mm. that'll go through and reports and all sorts of stuff that'll go through what they're doing to make their workplace more diverse and more inclusive. But then, when it comes down to the nitty gritty, when employees or the friends I've spoken about are actually going through stuff and they report it, then there is issue. They report it, and then they start getting marginalised or gaslighted or whatever then it's mm. like a lot of it is a lot of lip service and I'm mm-hmm. wondering like yeah I think there's a lot of organizations that do that that lip service thing it was like with the Black Lives Matter when the the squares you know the black squares and all of that kind of thing after George Floyd was murdered and it was a lot of lip service because after that what really changed a lot of organizations what changed in the corporate world in society not mm. much not much it's easy to put up a page and to put up a, a post on Instagram but it's much more there's no tangibility to it, though. Only tangible. Like, what are you actually doing? You, when you, you was going through what you're going through, and wait, how long How long were you there for?
0: Not long at all. Probably six months.
1: In, oh, my goodness. All
0: of that in six months, right? Was up, was six <laughs> Can you imagine? Months. My main, every, every day there was something new. I was trembling that coming to the office. Nuts,
1: that sounds nuts. Man. Yeah. Um, but when you go through that, so that six-month period, intense six-month period, yeah, and you're being hit left right and center in the workplace mm-hmm. and you're there full time like he spoke about them trying to silence your voice but then you even up until the end still feeling like you had the power to use your voice and advocate for mm-hmm. the right, we're going to get this and we're going to do that etc etc where did that uh where did that come from that you know that um you know that the, the the power in your voice like how did you when you're going through it because it's, you're getting hit all the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's a good question, you know. Um, so growing up, I was always the person to chat back growing up as a child. I was always, my, <laughs> yeah. I was, my dad used, used to always say, Alicia, you're so rebellious. Like, you're so, you just, don't listen. you question everything. I was always someone that questioned things. I was curious. So I think a part of it is genuinely my character. Um, you know, that's one thing. But then also, I've, I know where I'm coming from. I know the family I come from. I know how I've been raised. I know what we've achieved. So really and truly, I'm never threatened to lose a job. That's that's one thing. Yeah, I talk up, but you gonna do fire me? I'm I'm a smart woman. I'm a valuable person. I come from a great. I'm come from a good family. They they've really grounded me and made me feel like i've i'm fine so i think that has a massive impact and that's why i actually realized the reason why a lot of people don't have strong voices is because they don't have like a solid tribe of people mm. around them to empower them outside of work and hence why i started black great connect when i did because i thought people actually need a consistent tribe of people so that if they're going through nonsense in the workplace they can have the power to speak up knowing that you know knowing just that they're grounded in so much greatness and i think that's what it is i just had so much greatness around me even though i had friends at that workplace that stayed afterwards that even knowing my experiences because they also they didn't want to lose their job they were thinking about themselves right and i let them go on that journey on on their own i didn't pay attention to that people people are people operate with fear but I just don't operate with fear. I'm I'm a little bit fearless. So that's what it was for me. You can't be scared. You have to value yourself, respect yourself, you know, and that's that's mm. kind of where it came from.
1: When you, you spoke about black staff, uh, you're recruiting black staff and they're just leaving the workplace over and over again. And that's just a common theme in the corporate world in general, mm. that when it comes to black staff, attrition rates are always a lot higher than yeah. other groups. What are you hearing from maybe people in the Black Great Connects community or friends or family or whatnot? Like, You've gone through your experience, mm. and what, what are you hearing from other peers, like as to why they, why people are leaving the workplace?
0: It's so similar to my experiences. Um, almost every week, I get a new person in the telling me from the group chat about something they're going through a grievance um managers blocking their progression and growth hearing about being underpaid in comparison to the rest of the team and feeling like rah, I'm being paid 10k less than everybody else um it's that's that's a very very common thing that people fi- find out um also not feeling like they have any room for progression so sometimes when you don't see anyone at the top like you and um, you feel like can I really get there? Is there space for me? Um, some people have met people at the top that are black, that are unfortunately sellouts. And they, it's like, oh, because I've, I've worked with black leaders and been like, right, you're here and you're not really, you're not really representing, you know? Mm. So, and I think maybe you you had to water yourself a little bit to get there. And I think a lot of black people don't want to do that. So they don't bother staying in the place. Um, there's also the balance of just <clears throat> being over-criticised Over, Over-criticism is, one, is something that comes back to me a lot of the time So there was one girl I know in our network For example, she um, went to a Christmas party a couple of weeks ago She dropped a glass by accident because she was drinking and then the team reported her and said that they threw a glass, that she threw a glass at one of them, right? <laughs> so she had to go through disciplinary, had to take time off of work, had to go through investigation. Turns out that she just dropped the glass when they looked at like the cameras and stuff. And all of that hassle and haggle and stress, forget about, yeah, she's got she got her job and everything, but. That's a traumatic experience for someone hundreds. to have to go through all of that and then work with these people that have accused you of throwing a glass when you didn't.
1: And then what happened to the people that they've accused her? Nothing. Of, accused of, nothing. They just and
0: that's. Get on like no, nothing. And that's the problem. So they, these are reoccurring situations. There's another person that I know. They had um, a manager that just decided to do a restructure and say, your role's not needed anymore. Out of nowhere. This person has been in that role for about six years. The manager's been in the role for six months. They've come in new and said, oh, we don't need you in the team. She's the only black person on the team. So sometimes it's just the the managers not seeing value. And that's why I make a point of duty to do the other side and actually educate black professionals on what they can do to navigate these spaces smartly. And using your voice is a big part of that. Because they, when you set the tone from day one, they cannot play games with you. When you set the tone, it's either they say, oh, you're not for me," or too vocal, cool, all right, bye. Or they say, we cannot take the mic with this one. Do you know what I mean? So that's what people need to know know how to do, but do it in a professional way, you know? When you
1: say set the tone, so what do you mean?
0: So, for example, in uh, my most recent workplace, when I started, I said to them, well, I, before I even accepted the role, I said, I've gone on your website and I've seen that it's all white males. at the top and I said to them that gives me a bit of anxiety because I'm a black woman and there's no other black woman in the company and I don't know if you're going to understand me if you're going to really you know respect my opinion my perspectives, my difference um What's your perspective on that? I just want to understand. How do you, this is the, this is my my current view? Let me hear what you have to say about that. That's setting the tone because I want to hear what you have to say and how you respond determines on if I decide to want to to, um, to 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 join you or not. So that's that's one of the things. So ask questions to understand their minds. Interview them, so they feel like they need to think about the things that they say and what they put in stone and set for you. That's one way. Another way is when something happens, you pull it up. So again, when I started that workplace, there was a meeting I was in at one point, and um, the my director, lovely guy, guy by the way, got all the respect for him. I think he in- innocently kept on interrupting me in the conversation with a client, and um, on that call. Straight away after the call, said, do you have a minute to talk? And I said, look, I know that you're obviously you're really passionate about talking about DEI and everything, but I said, when I'm speaking, I'd appreciate not being interrupted. Is that okay with you? Because you kept on doing that in the last conversation. I'm so sorry, Lysia, I didn't mean to do that. You know, I don't mean to ever interrupt you. Um, that was just my mistake. Never did it again. So just calling things out, but just doing it in a way, to make sense of it. Say, look, this action results in this. We're trying to get to this, so let's probably not do this together and let's work towards getting that goal that we want. Does that make sense? Makes sense. In this, how long have you been in the uh, DEI space? So, I would say unofficially for about unofficially four years because I've always done like diverse hiring strategies and been managing DEI partnerships and everything in companies, but full time. I would say a year and a half so I've I've, I'm very new to the space I've learned a lot but I'm very new
1: Alright, I'm wondering a couple things then because
0: first of all because you're fairly new to the
1: space you might not have seen this over time but first of all whether you're seeing any shift in any change whether companies or organizations are getting their DEI strategies better more often than not or is it getting, getting worse or is it sort of just stayed the same and also the other thing I was wondering is whether you've come across organisations that are doing it right, that have got the DE&I on point and are doing it proper.
0: Yeah. I am yet to come across a company that I've, I have think they're doing everything right. Because on the outskirts, there's been companies, I'm going to answer your other question as well, by the way, there are companies that I've seen do, like their hiring process is really good. So there's one company in particular that, um, I won't mention their name because I've, I've got some other intel. So their hiring processes are actually quite inclusive. I've actually reviewed them. Um, I've done a lot of sessions with them. They've got like a diverse hiring committee. Um, they even work with us. So they they they're good. They're making the efforts for the hiring part. But I know individuals, black individuals, that work at the organisation that say different. So. That and that tells me that there's still work to be done, and it's and that's just black. I'm not even talking about the other spectrums of diversity, from neurodiversity, disabilities, to LGBTQ+. That I haven't even gone into that. So I think the work companies seem to be focusing on the hiring piece at the moment, but the retention piece is missing, and also the equity piece to actually allow. diverse voices get to the top and that's what I've noticed in the trend is companies want to become more diverse but they still want to keep them at a certain level they're still like a red line because when it comes to putting someone in your senior leadership oh we needed them to have managed 10 million pound budgets or campaigns or done this or done this they're putting requirements in place that you know they haven't done that because they haven't had the exposure like you and previously so what are you going to do to make sure that they can get to the top so the the problem is, is that there isn't any equitable strategies that I've seen um, I'm working with organisations on one but there's there's so many problems from leadership team everyone in the leadership team needs to be brought on board if it's not, it's, a DEI strategy is going to be really hard to implement because it requires leadership team to actively do things that I've put out in the strategy um, and then I've also, me speaking to other DEI professionals um, from a consultancy base Budgets are being cut left, right and centre. So companies are investing less into DEI, especially because it's harder to measure. So how people see DEI is that, oh, we'll do this training. Everyone should now know about bias. We'll do this training. No one should be doing microaggressions in the workplace. Or we'll do this event. Yay, we celebrate celebrating women. We are, we are, we are. It's just these random bits of things that people keep on doing. But I always say to organisations, stop Look. Within your organization, look and understand where are you failing. Where can you improve? There's areas for improvement, and this you get some organizations organisation saying oh we're diverse oh yeah we've got people in the company look within and understand what the problems are and work on those on a long-term basis and you have to be patient it's like going to the gym you can't expect to go and do sit-ups tomorrow and your stomach is flat you have to be doing the eating you have to be doing the exercising for a long period of time you have to have everything right your mind everything needs to be there you're sleeping if you're not doing all those things the formula you're not going to see the end results and the problem is that companies are not doing everything required in the formula to see the end results, hence why they're saying oh it's not working cut the budgets and that's the problem that I'm seeing
1: You've managed to build um, a big a big community a successful community Black Creative Connect can you talk about how you've gone about doing that and what you thought you've done right and, and wrong in building that community of people
0: Good question so Black Creek Connect shout out Black Creative Connect community you know I love 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 the community it's my heart and soul and um, Started initially just off the back of a LinkedIn recruiter search that I was doing, um, and I couldn't find, (laughs) I couldn't find any black candidates after like 10 pages. I've said this quite a few times, but I'm saying that again. Okay. It was like 10 pages. I was looking for like a senior project manager or something, and I couldn't find any. Now 10 pages is really, really bad. I just done that because I wanted to open up the pool a little bit, but if you're realistically not coming up in the first two pages of a LinkedIn recruiter search, unfortunately, you're not going to be contacted for many opportunities, which is limiting. So then I thought there's a problem here, whatever the problem is, let me try to solve it with a group chat, put it out there and said, join this group I've got jobs, let me share them and that was literally the only intention. It it happened to be um, Covid, so it meant that there was many People losing their jobs, being made redundant, put on furlough. Um, so there was that support that need, that was needed. Um, and then also on top of that, we had Black Lives Matter. So we also needed the emotional support because people at their companies felt, people then saw that their companies were actually racist because they weren't talking about it or they weren't doing anything. So that community just became a space of love. It's such a supportive space that I think has come from the characters that I've met and I've said, yeah, you can come into this space, you come into this space. And I think when people invite their friends, because sometimes I I don't really vet anyone, but when people invite their friends, I think they just know the tone from when they come into the group and they just see the energy, they look at our branding, they see the events we've put on, they speak to people and it just flows. So even last night when we had the networking event, Every single person said, we just had such nourishing conversations, enriching conversations. And I think that comes from, to be honest, just how I am and how I've been with everyone. And that passes on because people, people follow the person that has started it and said, that's the tone of things, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that, I think what I've done successfully in that is I've set the tone. And when I've sensed um, any, area of disruption because I have I have seen some people in the group potentially disrupting things or putting things in a different way I remove them because that's not the space for this we're not we're not doing gossip we're not doing all of that this is a space of elevation only um and growth so I think I've been very intentional with that I'm very intentional with sticking to my words so my word is I'm gonna get you in spaces in companies offices I'm going to get you to talk to companies I'm going to share jobs with you we're going to connect together I'm going to have a podcast and speak to some great leaders so you can learn from them continuously we're going to do this and I think the important thing of the community is you you have to be ideas-based, be able to create ideas, but you also have to listen to the community so we take feedback from them, we understand what to change and nurture and you have to deliver. If you don't deliver on things, they're just going to think, oh, you're just chatting, like you're not actually... Like even yesterday, I wasn't going to do it at an end of your event. We did a poll in the group chat and everyone was like, event, event, even event, even event. So I'm like, I've now asked them, they've all now said they want this. If I don't do this, then I'm not gonna look like a credible, like I'm not, I'm gonna look like I'm not serving the community, and that's what I need to do. So I think if you are gonna be a community leader, you have to be prepared to serve the community. And sometimes, I mean, I've invested a whole heap of money into Black Create Connect. But do you know what? For me, I feel like it's very it's worth it because I feel like If God forbid I was to die tomorrow, I've invested and helped so many people so far. And that's a blessing in itself. And that's okay. That's fine. And I think that there's going to be a massive, big return. The return isn't just for me. It's for our community to be richer, to be wealthier, to be more knowledgeable, to grow. When we, we, when we're surrounded by people that are doing well, you're just going to do well. Like, Automatically And you, what I've noticed Is ever since Doing the community There's so many more Opportunities Paid opportunities That have come my way From people saying Oh Alicia, you can do this You can do this Because people just know What you do So by being in a certain space You get so much more And that's That's kind of what it is It's just about Connecting Sticking to your words Leading by example And yeah
1: Nice Alicia. Have you got any final words?
0: <laughs> Final words. Um what words is in like encouragement? Oh uh, just anything, just final thoughts, words. Um I would say don't be afraid to use your voice. Doesn't matter if you're an introvert, doesn't matter if you're not confident, but speak up because your words can have impact. And there's a quote I like to say by Alice Walker, who's an American um, novelist. And she says, the biggest way that people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. And by not using your voice, you're thinking you don't have a voice and you don't have any power. But you need to think you do and you will surprise yourself. So that's what I will say is my final words.
1: Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming to the podcast once again. You're welcome. Uh, this was Alicia Richardson. This is 1000 Voices. And for now, people, we're up.